What's an alternative to codependency? We're so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive in your relationship. Guys, welcome to The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert, a Beyond Enough production. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. And he's definitely an expert. You've been working to help couples with their extreme challenges for like 15 years, right? Yeah, a long time. And I'm glad that I'm here with you guys sharing your vulnerable story. And I hope that it helps our listeners as well. Absolutely. And if you need some help getting started, we have a free resource over at beyond-enough.com forward slash step one. And that's one, the number. It provides the first key steps to healing your relationship, regardless of how tough things are right now. All right, guys, let's roll. Okay, before we answer that question, I have a a great review here. So it says, a lifeline for the lonely. I have been listening for over a year now. Before coming across this trio, I felt so lost and alone. I bawled through the entire first episode. Someone understood what I couldn't put to words. And I learned there's an entire community out there to lean on. I particularly like the guest speakers as they have introduced me to new avenues for light. So many things shared on this podcast resonate in truth. I share episodes with people, many who are not facing addiction, every every chance I get. I am finding my voice and maybe for the first time as an adult finding myself. Thank you for giving me hope that things will somehow be okay. I don't know what will happen in my marriage, but I'm starting to remember that I am worthy of respect, care, and love. I will thank you always for rekindling that in me. I love that. And it's beautiful. Yes, just thoughtful. And I am right there with you, finding myself as an adult for the first time. Same. Yeah. And um, lucky you, you like those guest speakers. We have one today. Yes. Um, We've had him before. This is Dr. Robert Navarra, and we're going to call him Dr. Bob uh, today. Uh, But he's here with us, and we're excited to have him. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified with the Gottman Therapist Master Trainer. Um, He holds national certification as a master addiction counselor. He's co-authored several book chapters and articles with doctors John and Julie Gottman, um, doing a lot of uh, research-based uh, research in um, at the Mental Research Institute at Palo Alto, California. He is um, he's created the roadmap for the journey, a path for couples in recovery, um, and has workshops and um, all sorts of offers available. Um, and we'll put his information and website all within our show notes here so you can find him and um, the good work that he's putting out there. So we're happy to have him here today to help us. Um, sometimes hearing the same thing, but in a different way, kind of how we have those light bulb moments. So you may have heard some of these things before, but from Dr. Bob, it's probably going to sound like, oh, yay, I get it. Maybe we get it. So that's what we're hoping we have today for you. Looking forward to it. Good to have you back, Dr. Bob. Thank you. It's great to be back. Thanks. Okay, so what is it, you guys? I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure I was raised in a deeply codependent home by parents who did their very, very best, and I, uh, I'm pretty sure I did, did a good job of modeling that in my relationship and in my role as a father thus far, trying hard, trying hard to, to hit the brakes on that. But what it really is an alternative to codependency, Doctor Bob. Wow. Well, first of all, I'm really struck with your your readers' sort of opening, mm-hmm. because what addiction really 
is defined as in the simplest terms is a very small world. It's, it's like this. And so codependency tends to be connected to the person with the small world already of that addiction mm-hmm. and that behavior, right? And so codependency is a term that has a lot of different meaning for people. There's probably just an, an overall understanding of what that is, but it boils down to these are developed unhealthy patterns that um, arise out of necessity, trying to make sense out of the world, I suppose, and try to take control of the world that's so out of control. So the alternative to codependency is a term that is used in healthy couple relationship. This is not a recovery term. This is one that should be a recovery term, which is why I wanna talk about it. And the term is interdependency. And that's a term most people have not heard of unless you maybe are a therapist, probably have, but apart from that scenario, you probably haven't. And the concept with interdependency is that healthy relationships are defined by partners' ability and responsibility, actually, to express what they think, what they feel, and what they need, which is exactly the opposite of codependency, where you don't talk, don't trust, you don't feel. Wait, wait, wait. Really? Yes, really. It's like I'm (laughs) I'm just hearing that, Dr. Bob, and I'm thinking of like all the ways that it wasn't okay for me to do most of what you just said, even as a kid. So it's no wonder that I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Poor Ashlyn. No, well, we both did it to each other. And like you said, out of necessity of, okay, I've got to control this chaos happening around me. So if I maybe blame or do these other things or I'm okay, because you're okay, right? Um, That was how we survived. And it's what got us to the point of, okay, now we need help because this is not working. It is about survival. And so sometimes um, there's a term I actually like to add to codependency, and it's uh, it's kind of a growing term in the research field a little bit. It's starting to gain some momentum, and it broadens. I mean, codependency is actually not an official diagnosis anywhere. It's just right. sort of this grassroots thing that's emerged for a while now. But the concept of secondhand harm, I think, is a mm. really important concept in understanding the impact of addiction on partners and family. And rather than labeling perhaps everyone into this one size fits all category of codependency, I think that has limitations. If you can define what codependency is and what's unhealthy in the behaviors that are in that category, then that's, that's an important thing. But I think to say that um, there's been secondhand harm, meaning I've been impacted by somebody else's behavior or substance use. And let's talk about that without the built-in pathologizing that is often associated with the word codependency. Uh, I, I, um, I was trained back in the day when the way you treated addiction and couples was um, you treated, you know, you treated the the addict and then you treated the codependent and the codependent was the enabler. Um, the un, they, they were just as unhealthy as the addict. And, um, and so it was interesting because I got this definition of codependency. I was having, you know, all the clients were reading codependent no more. Right. Um, and this definition of codependency was very much tied to addiction. Mm-hmm. And, but, but since I've, I've really broadened out that definition of codependency because I look at interdependency, codependency, independency. And, and so codependency to me, and, and Dr. Bob, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong on this. It's, it's like an overattachment. It's sacrificing yourself for the relationship. Um, and, and kind of, and, and when somebody's in a relationship with an addict, they do that because they're just trying to survive in that relationship. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it, it leads to things like resentment and um, just feeling like, you know, it, you're, 
you can't be you, you're not empowered. You're, is that accurate? Yeah, I think it's, yes. The thing that generates the behavior is the feelings that are underneath it, which is usually fear, yes. terror, oftentimes anger, resentment. So a person who falls into the so-called codependent frame is attempting to manage an out of control situation. And that comes at great cost to the individual typically. Right. And so the concept of interdependency is stands in contrast to that to say, well, my needs are important and it's important for you to know and understand what they are. Now, whether you can meet them or not, I don't know. And we can talk right. about that. But what I think, what I feel and what I need is the cornerstone of all healthy relationships. And I think we should expect that for couples that have been impacted by addiction and now are in recovery. We should expect the same thing we'd want for any healthy couple relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with a, a lady who taught me um, to help people get out of codependency was to, to push them into like independency. So she, she, she'd have people put up massive walls and not have any connection between them at all. And, and she said that was healthy. That, that's the way not to be codependent. And I think that is an alternative to codependency, but I don't, I don't see that as interdependency. No, I totally agree. And I'm so glad you're raising this point, Brian. And as, as usual, you're, it feels like we're just spot on with these <laughs> issues that can be really help people. So here, so here's, here's the thing. Partner says, hey, who's uh, addicted to sex? And so goes to SA meetings and is going to X number of meetings. And then the partner says, well, I've decided to cut down my meetings in half. Partner who hears this goes, no, you can't do that. And here's mm -hmm. all why you should know. So that would be the classic sort of codependent. I'm trying to control your recovery. Yep. An interdependent response would be to say, when I hear that, I feel anxious. You can state a feeling. I would even prefer you not do that. You could even state a preference. That's mm -hmm. not codependency. It's what healthy couple partnerships do. It's honesty. It's honesty. So mm -hmm. expressing an opinion and expressing a need, like I need to have things happen in my life too, that are going to be impacted potentially by this decision. So I think that's the difference. Instead of all or nothing, I'm all the way in meshed with you and your addiction and recovery, or I'm all the way out of it, stay on separate sides of the street, which is the prevailing model. You say, well, let's talk about what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling, and even my preference. And that is not codependent. I don't see it that way anyway, which I realize could bump into some other people's thinking about it. What do you think? Yeah. Well, no, I think you made it sound so simple and I think, gosh, why didn't I, why didn't I start doing it that simple, um, in the beginning? Right. But I did do exactly what Brandon talked about. Kobe did too, of that just swinging, to, you know, to the other side of the pendulum and saying, fine, and here's all my walls. And I don't care about what you're doing. Cause I'm worried about me now and staying in my own lane. And it's that fine line of, but wait, I'm trying to connect because we've been disconnected and that's not doing that. Right. Right. Um, so I think the ability to share without and feeling safe for each other can breed that interdependence rather than independence. Mm -hmm. Though I think most of us go to it. There's some interesting, th I, I'm, I'm interested to hear from both of you on this because, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm replaying a lot of um, myths. We'll call them that I observed and adopted and brought into my relationship with Ashlyn. And the one of them was this, this idea that if I'm going to be a partner, a husband to Ashlyn, then my own personal um, 
I, I can't be selfish in my role as partner and I have to be able to um, sacrifice some of my own desires or my own, you know, I have to be able to sacrifice personally in order to compromise. And I don't think what I understood was I was actually compromising who I was. So I think there was an element of nobility and duty that was, um, that was probably more of a, um, an unknown message that was being conveyed to me. But I think there was also um, a, a very big instance of not really having any identity aside from being the husband who was mm-hmm. supposed to sacrifice right. in order for the greater good. Mm-hmm. And, and so can you guys speak to that, this, this, this duty, this nobility and duty and, and sacrificing self, but also what that kind of reveals as far as our own individual identity? Yeah, I, I can start. The idea of being confused boundary-wise is really common, as we probably know, when a couple's been impacted by addiction for both partners. So there's tremendous confusion typically between self-care and selfishness. Addiction is sort of the epiphany of, or the epicenter, I should say, of selfish, because it's, it's a very small world. Self-care is very, very different, and re- it's absolutely essential in recovery to do self-care, or you run great risk of a relapse. So well, I think what we're also talking about are what are healthy boundaries and how do I establish them in a way so I'm not sacrificing who I am, but I do need to be available and turn towards you in ways that feel healthy to me. So I need to challenge my version of what it means to be a good partner, a good spouse, and say, what does that actually look like? Yep. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, I think, you know, sacrificing yourself is is never good for your relationship. Um, sacrificing for your partner is great, but when you give yourself away to avoid conflict, to keep them happy, to, to, to just like make sure that they still love you, then you're actually doing long-term damage to that relationship. Um, you're trying to manipulate them into to loving you and accepting you as opposed to just owning who you are and being authentic and open mm-hmm. about that. Um, so it, no, it's not noble to sacrifice yourself <laughs> for the relationship. I know that now. <laughs> I was the clueless fool who was like, I guess this is what you're supposed to do in love is just sacrifice everything. Me. Well, but- and Brandon, what you said, I think is important. Um, the idea of I'm going to protect by like, I'm going to protect your feelings. So I'm not going to share really what I'm feeling right now or that I'm triggered right now or that whatever's going through, here's my needs. Uh, I think all of us, at least on uh, the betrayer, the betrayed side that I get to work with, that's a very real thing of trying to find that in-between place where I can share what I'm feeling without the blame. This is all your fault, but also you don't need to fix it. And this is really just like, I'm showing you where I am kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. An important part of this boundary setting stuff has to do, this is such a typical thing. The person with the addiction, we'll just talk about that partner for a second, usually, often, um, particularly in early recovery, but sometimes beyond, carry such guilt and such shame. There could be an internal sense of, I don't deserve to ask Mm -hmm. for anything after what I put my partner through. (laughs) So I'm not going to ask for what I think is important. Yeah. And I'm guilty. And so I'm just going to, that's part of the nobility. Who am I? Yeah. Who Who am am I I to really like speak my opinion? Who am I to really stand up for what I what I think is probably right here because I've just caused so much damage, harm, and hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and here's the irony to that, is that to the degree that a behavior or a substance takes you out of the relationship and that becomes the primary relationship, when there's this nobility, for lack of a better term, when there's an inability to state what's important to you, that's another distancing. You're still mm -hmm. not present. Mm -hmm. So the partner's going, it doesn't feel like you're you or you're, you know, who are you? What's there? And how do we connect? And I need to know what you think, feel, and need for me to begin to understand who you are and who we are ultimately. So what Dr. Bob just said is is so important, especially for, um, I, I want to put it in like layman's terms so so everybody can understand this. When when you've betrayed somebody or you've been stuck in an addiction, um, the way you rebuild trust is not by um, not being honest in that relationship and avoiding conflict. It's, it's not by showing up like compliant and perfect for that person the way you rebuild trust is by showing up honest it's that simple um and so this this thing you're talking about kobe not making waves you know sacrificing mm -hmm. myself that does not draw you closer together it pushes you further apart so after you betrayed somebody if you try to go to this compliant codependent model of of being you're going to push apart even further. And and that's the part that's that's the part that's really scary. I I totally get what you're saying. And knowing what I know now, I'm a 1000% on board with it. And um I think that the the fear the fear that existed for me if I'm trying to put my my hat on that I wore for so many years, the fear is 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 that um I'm unworthy I am not, uh, there's never been a safe place for me to be able to, to state like what I'm really thinking. And that started from my, my family of origin certainly carried into our relationship. And, and I don't have, I haven't given myself permission, nor has my partner given me permission to actually be authentic and honest and, and to share where I, where I actually am. So maybe that can be the topic of conversation is like now is, is how does a couple who is riddled with addiction in one in in in, in one uh, way or another begin building a foundation of interdependency? Mm -hmm. oh, great question, because this is what I coach couples to do, which I put under the title of um, Recovery Anarchy 101, because it bumps into a lot of <laughs> the prevailing ideas about what you should and shouldn't do, which is stay on your own side of the street and you start. All right, so this could sound very codependent, but I don't think it is. And so your, your listeners, readers, or listeners, viewers can sign in on this and see what they say. I think it's important for each person to say, this is what I want you to know about what I'm doing for my own recovery or my own welfare or my own health. If you don't identify as a recovering person per se, this is important to me that you know this thing about what I'm doing. So what you're doing is you're introducing your partner into part of your recovery world in a way that says, this is an important part of me. And I want you to know some of that. And that lets your partner in, in a way that isn't often yes. encouraged, I think. And this is for both partners. Here's what's important for me that you know. And, you know, I, like I, I've actually developed a set of recovery card decks, which you don't need a card deck to oh, do this, cool. but they're questions like this. One way I think I have changed since recovery, I want you to know this, what my higher, this is random, what my higher power or spiritual belief is about. 
how I feel about taking medication, what it means to have a sponsor. These are things I want you, my partner, to I know love about. it. My gosh, those are all things that eventually are scary as shit about. for me. <laughs> we, if yes. I'm being really honest, like yes, if that makes my heart race, that's probably probably pretty uh, a good thing to identify. Then I need to actually talk about those things, right? Yeah. And you bring that feeling into the conversation. Like this is really scary for me right now. Yeah. Whatever's in the room with you, if you can name it, that is very helpful. I get the, the question. Emotions. I Sorry. get the question all the time. Um, so, so like I, I'm working with partners to try to detangle them from, from their partner's recovery. And, and I get the question, Oh, I guess I'm not supposed to know anything about their recovery then. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and there couldn't be anything further from the truth because yes. their, their recovery is a huge part of them, a huge part of their life, a huge part of what they're doing. So it's this thing where yes, detangle yourself from, from their recovery. Don't be hovering over it. And, but also have connection with them about this big thing in their life so that, so that you hear it. And so I love, I love these cards. It, it, it kind of spurs those questions of connection as opposed to sitting down together and having a fear-based control conversation. Yes. Right? Well, the concept of, you know, uh, sort of entangled boundaries, I find it's much easier to work with a couple to talk about recovery, to help them disentangle, just like you're talking about Brandon. So the thing is, here's what I want you to know about my recovery or some aspect of my recovery that I find helpful. The directions have to be also as part of describing this thing. And it's okay to limit, if your partner asks you questions, which should be okay, it's perfectly fine. In fact, it's essential to say, I wanna stop there. That's all they'd like to say, or some version of I've said enough. Which is a boundary. Which is a boundary. Yeah. And that's <laughs> key. <laughs> Here's, you, you can stop talking. You stop being degrees of transparency can be wherever you want them to be. Yes. Okay. So this, this is beautiful because I think what I just heard from, from you guys are some, are some, um, and I don't, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to discredit them by using this term, but they're canned responses. Okay. That I can use in moments when it's really hard for me to be in my, the logical part of my brain. Okay. And, and that to me is really, really critical. Cause then I can just say, I'm going to put that term or that word or that response front and center. So when I need to deploy it, I can, but that's really hard when I'm in, when I'm feeling discomfort <laughs> because I'm trying to do something that's so new. Let me ask a question. What are the, let's say Ash and I want to have this conversation. Okay. But um, what are the ground rules that must be established and honored in order for this conversation to take place? Mm -hmm. And also what are the best practices? Um, maybe even like the don'ts that are imperative for both the betrayed and the one who has betrayed. Okay. With this particular exercise, it's, it's called my recovery, my wellness. So the ground rules are you get to pick what you share. You get to pick how much of that you want to share. And the listener, in this case, the way this is structured is can ask questions, but doesn't, doesn't really chime in with that, with the partner's perspective. Like, well, here's how I feel about it. Cause it's not about that. This is about the speaker saying, here's something that's important to me that, you know, and if you ask me a question that I'm not comfortable or I'd prefer to stop, then that has to be honored. And I, or what I'm telling couples, this won't work. And what Brandon said earlier is crucial because what actually increases the trust metric is the ability to have these questions asked and answered with the boundaries in place. And 
trust is such a huge issue on the heels of an addictive disorder, right? So you yes. go, yikes, I can't, you can't expect me to trust my partner. But what Maybe if I not. know that it's going to be, what if I know that what I'm going to say is going to cause Ashlyn to lose her mind and to freak out? You don't know that. I don't, but that's codependent. That's a lack of boundaries right there. <laughs> that's and yes to both of your statements. I agree. Two but, therapists but in the, one podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the very I, I'm I'm putting myself back in those shoes to realize, wow, the courage, the courage that this this way of living demands is enormous and it it's very it, it requires me to be very very intentional to say i acknowledge the fact that what how i answer these cards these questions is going to breed some conflict it's going to uh, to to step on toes it's going to cause some kind of reaction it's going to require me to sit in discomfort and what are some very simple things that that i could do in order to um to deal with face and reduce the anxiety and the discomfort that I might feel in order to stay in the moment. To challenge all the thinking you just laid out. You're starting with the premise that this will, the result of this communication, this moment of intimacy is going to lead to bad things, to a bad outcome. And my experience has been exactly the opposite. Kobe, my experience, because I've done this not only with couples in my office, but I've done this in treatment programs. And it's exactly the opposite of that, because you're providing a structure that says, first of all, you get to decide what you share. It's up to you. You get to decide how much of that. If Ashlyn asks you a question uh, that you don't want to answer, and the, the ground rules are, it's okay for you to say, I'd rather not answer that, ask me another question. That's not going to increase conflict. That's going to increase intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to recognize um, ground rules. So we're giving expectations like here's, especially when it's something new and we're baby stepping and saying, here's a new skill we're going to try out. Let's see how it fits. You're Mm going to mess up. You're going to maybe not have all the right words, but as long as I can be, um, open and honest and try, you know, tell Kobe, I'm trying to create the safe space. I know we're not safe for each other, but here's, here's what I'm going to try. I'm going to be vulnerable right now. And I'm scared, but here I go. Here's what I need from you. Right. Um, I think that is where we missed it in the beginnings, whereas we weren't giving each other. um, (laughs) It was just like, Oh, by the way, here, let me tell you all these things. And we weren't verbal vomit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so because we weren't skilled enough to say, Hey, I'm just going, you just need to listen. That's all I need you to is just to hear me in this or whatever it is. I think that's important and a big part we missed. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure it is. It's um, mm-hmm. it's it's I, I I see the. I guess what I'm saying is is I want to encourage those of you who are listening, to, uh, it, to to really remember from this, that despite the discomfort that this even talking about this mm-hmm. this conversation with your partner can can bring, um, the the most important thing here is safety and trust. And like, that's the thing that I, I rehearsed for years and years and years. I'm trying to establish safety and trust again because I was not those things. So I need to um, do my part and, and lean into the discomfort that, that I'm going to experience in, in, in this particular situation. Because despite saying what I think and perceive as scary, it will actually, like you guys said, bring more intimacy. And- it will. And bring, us, and bring us closer. And so, Ashlyn, here's my follow-up question to you on this is, is 
what was it like for you when I began to really be honest and share and even say some things that push back mm -hmm. on you? Um, I think anytime you show your healthy boundaries and like, this is who I am, it is, it's what you want. It's like, this is what I've been wanting. This is you or you're showing up. And it also, I'm like on two sides, it's awesome and exciting and also scary. Wait, we're doing something different. We're doing this new dance and I don't know the steps. So uh, yeah, it's those, it's both feelings for me mm -hmm. when those things came up. Um, because yeah, we're both practicing something new. We're, I, I even feel like, um, and I don't know if you guys can, is this normal? Is this not, but I would find, okay, I'm feeling really confident and interdependent in this area, maybe as a partner, but over here with maybe a family relationship, I start to go into that codependent of like, I, it wasn't like across the board, I was healed or I felt strong and all the things it was like, I had to work on it in all the different areas of my life. Mm -hmm. And I know Kobe, you've is part of your nightly check-in. He talks about it, even the poll with our children to take on their stuff. That's the real daunting part in this, you guys. And I know that you guys know this, <laughs> but that's the daunting part. And that's the, the, the piece on recovery. That's, that's really, um, it's scary, but it's also, it gives hope because there are so many arenas in which I have to be able to leverage these skills of interdependence mm -hmm. in as a, as a professional, as a mm -hmm. father, as a partner, as an individual. And then there are subcategories within each of those roles that mm -hmm. I have to leverage this. That's daunting and it's overwhelming. But if there's a safe place where I can do that with my partner mm -hmm. and wow. we can begin practicing on that, then maybe that will be the on-ramp to applying it to the various roles and situations that arise in life. Let's step back just for a second, because this is really interesting. Is there a safe place? So you just, the two of you just did an interdependency thing on live YouTube. It's going to be on your podcast. Ashton, what was it like for you when I started pushing back and then Ashton started sharing feeling? That's that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You're asking questions. I just want to understand what this is like for you. I don't even have to have a position. I just want to get into your world. And the thing like to deepen intimacy, there's a, there's, Two other things I'm going to talk about really quickly because it's all into how to, how to foster boundaries and how to deepen intimacy and increase trust in an interdependent relationship. Um, so my recovery, here's what I want you to know. Your recovery, now we're really breaking the rules right now. It's actually okay to ask your partner about your partner's recovery or wellness. And your partner has every right to say, I don't want to answer that question or I'll tell you so much and then I'll stop. Questions like... <laughs> um, what is it like to work your recovery schedule? What happens in a meeting? What are the different kinds of meetings? What things have you learned about yourself to take better care of yourself? What makes you happy or appreciative about your recovery? So it's coming from a place of curiosity and in any couple of relationship, you, if you're curious about your partner and ask questions, that's, that's a, an intimate opportunity. These are the smallest units of intimacy come in these check-ins. So tell me this, and again, you don't have a position you're listening. This is important to me to know. So I'm going to ask you a question and you could say, I'd rather not answer that question or I'll tell you so much. So that's another that. dimension. What do you think of that? Can you imagine I, yourself? I love it. Cool. Cause I've done both. Yeah. I've done all three, let's say where <laughs> I was, Kobe would go to meetings and I didn't want to hear a thing about it. Just like, that's your stuff. I don't care. Leave me alone. Um, and then it was, okay, I need to know what's going on. Tell me all the things. 
<laughs> and then it became more of like, Hey, I want to share what I'm learning. And he wanted to share what he was learning. And it was this mutual. And I love what you say. Cause I do, I have to often zoom out. Like what is ignore the recovery work. What's a healthy relationship look like? That's what we're going for here. And sometimes we get so zoomed in that we can't see, like, I want to show up as a partner and the curiosity of not having a stance. I love that because I think when we ask a question, sometimes we already have our position and we're <laughs> locked and loaded to fire back. <laughs> right. Right. Then I think, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I think, uh, I think it all comes down to vulnerability in, in that, you know, if, if my wife's saying something to me and it's like, well, I want to show her how important I am because I'm Mr. Therapist expert, man. So I'm going to like tell her everything and I'm not listening. That's about me. Right. Um, but if I'm just kind of vulnerable with her, I, I just love her and I want her to be her, then I'll just hold some space. And, um, you know, codependency is living in fear and trying to kind of control the, the situation so that you're loved or accepted or not rejected. Independency is disconnecting because you don't want to experience rejection and abandonment. So it's not vulnerable. Interdependency is here, here I am. This is I. You can love me. You can hate me. I'm going to love you back. I'm going to provide safety for you to be you because I want you to be you, not you to be me. <laughs> and I'm going to be me. And we're, let's, let's like see how we mix together with both of us being our individual selves, right? Mm -hmm. I, I really resonate with how you guys have captured that. And, you know, before the call started, Brandon, you mentioned something about where do I end and Ashlyn begin? Where does she begin? Mm -hmm. And what's really, really interesting is that having permission for me to say, I actually don't want to answer that question. And being able to say, uh, I'm only going to say this about that question. That to me is a very basic introductory step that can illustrate exactly what you guys talked about, which is, this is where I start talking about boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. This is where I end. And this is where you start. And there is a difference between the two of us. And um, I want to have a safe environment where I can say, this is as much as I'm going to give you or I want to give you more. And it's scary, but that's a really great introductory place to just start because then that can, like we talked about earlier, you referenced it can, all of a sudden that can, that um, way of operating can exist in other arenas in life. Can it not? Oh, absolutely. The idea of just levels of disclosure. Hey, I had a great meeting tonight. Maybe that's all you want to say to your partner. I had a great meeting tonight. They talked about perfectionism. There's a little deeper level. Mm -hmm. I had a great meeting tonight. They talked about perfectionism. I really realized how I struggled with that through most of my life and in recovery. Another level of disclosure. Mm -hmm. So there's the transparency deepens. Mm -hmm. I had, went to a meeting, perfectionism. I see how I struggle with my life. I see how that spills into our relationship and I'm going to really work on that. So it's perfectly fine to stop at had a great meeting tonight. And at some point you may feel enough safety in the relationship to disclose more as it feels appropriate and you try out the new sea legs, so to speak. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Little baby steps. Yeah, exactly. And then finally, before um, I forget to do this, the third, so we got my recovery. Here's what I want you to know. Here's something I want to know about your recovery with all the boundaries in place. Finally, let's talk about our recovery or the impact that recovery's had on us. 
and to actually cut space in our relationship to talk about it. So boundaries that are important for me, for me, for us right now are what? What are they? How can we support each other in activities separate from our relationship? What are the challenges and gifts of being a couple in recovery? And it goes on and on. So you, you pick a topic and you don't need a card tech to do this. You say, what's something we haven't really talked about? How do you think recovery has impacted our kids? Yeah, let's talk about that. No, I don't want to talk about that. Well, how about finances? <laughs> okay. We'll talk. All right. So then you decide what you're going to talk about and then you just share your perspective. So and if you really... can't talk about money and kids, and that <laughs> yeah. covers that, you can say, let's talk about well, sex, let's just talk about something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's just go to sex because that's going to be easiest of all, right? Yeah, how was yeah. recovery impacted our sex life? Most normal, easiest conversation. Of course it is. <laughs> um, I, I, wow. Um, all of a sudden, um, in my head, it's not as scary. It's not as scary. And um, I think that's, I think that's part of the journey in, in just going back to like, right. We we talked about with the, um, the review that you read, Brandon, this individual saying as an adult, I finally figured out, I'm starting to figure out who I am. And it, I mean, I'm still figuring that out, but I know for the first time I was probably, I don't know, almost 40 until I really felt like I understood who I, no, I was more than that. <laughs> it's probably 42 before I started to like really have a firm grasp on, I think this is where I am. This is where I start. This is where I begin. And this is where the people, you know, um, are in my life. And this is where I am. And um, not having that is really a scary thing, but I didn't understand how scary. It's about permission, Kobe. Cause I'm thinking, we might be a little hard on ourselves. Maybe maybe the two of you might have, you know, we could have done better. Well, all right, but there's a context for things. So you've got your own family history that sets the stage for how you're supposed to be. So there's that system. Then you've got the addictive disorder. And with that brings a whole bunch of survival mechanisms to not talk, trust, or deal with it. So there's that shutdown. Then you get into recovery. And frankly, we have a recovery community that does not support what we're talking about in this podcast mm-hmm. today or the work that you all do mm-hmm. with your uh, workshops and online classes and stuff. So we've got this, all this, all the reasons to not do the thing we're talking about. And if you can hear, I have to give myself permission and it really is okay. And by the way, there's research that supports why this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. There's no research that I can find that would create why couple recovery is a bad thing uh, as the default to start with. So the idea is there's a whole context for lack of support for couples to do the very thing we're talking about. And that's what I think you all are changing on this, in this YouTube station and the work that you're doing with couples and that we need to promote going forward. Yeah, it's beautiful. Brandon, I know that that's a heavy, a heavy effort for you and, uh, and your clinic, um, as far as working with couples uh, together. Um, I, I honestly wish that we could have had more of that. I will say this, that the, um, one of the early ways in which we began to, to share um, in recovery, early in recovery was um, Brandon, when I was in your foundations class and when you would talk about just general life, uh, li- life skills, no matter, no matter what they were. Um, and then also when we began talking about shame, um, Ashlyn and I would have conversations about the various like psychoeducational uh, pieces related to recovery, but rather than addressing them as, for instance, like with shame, when we would come home from from uh, therapy or from group or from foundations, I wouldn't be like, "Hey, guess what I saw? You need to know this about the way that you make me feel shame." It was this is how shame 
showed up in my family of origin. Oh, this is how codependency showed up in my relationship with my siblings and my parents. Oh, I didn't have any boundaries at all in my family of origin. So I guess if there's some little tidbit, yeah, I snorted just now. You guys heard it. The snort is back. Um, sorry, Dr. Bob. But if, if um, we can really begin to talk about these principles of recovery and as not as it relates to our specific relationship, but our life context, then um, in our experience, that opened up the, the opportunity for us to be a little bit more vulnerable and say, I'm going to, I'm going to share a little bit more because it's not directly about us. I'm not going to get, you know, blindsided from Ashlyn um, with a shame, you know, narrative about how I wasn't vulnerable, for instance. And that seemed to help make it a little bit easier because now I can talk about something that's not directly um, related to us, mm -hmm. but I certainly have life context and, and uh, experience with. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the, the concept with couple recovery for me falls into really three recoveries, at least, happening at the same time. Partner one, partner two, and then the relationship. Yeah. And they're not mutually exclusive. And that's, that's one of the myths, I think, is that they're, they're mutually exclusive. You have to be really solid in your own individual recovery before you even begin to address the relationship. And I don't think that's true. I think if you introduce some of these concepts early, you get more support from your partner because you're saying, here's what's helpful, here's what's not. And you're you're supporting one another, establishing boundaries and saying, and we both have a responsibility to talk about what's going on in our relationship and with our kids and our family, if that's the case. And so we're doing that. We're stepping into that and they do not have to be mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And that's for some reason, controversial in many treatment yeah. programs for some reason. Yeah. Well, I, I like that. And I like the idea of um, it's mutual effort. And I think that's, that's ideal. That's what we all want is a partner who's willing to grow and to, to shift and to make changes um, alongside, whether it's at different, you know, the ebb and flow, but it's still, we're in, in the same trajectory. So um, I appreciate you being here, Dr. Bob, and Thank for you. your it's insight. But before we wrap up, doc, Dr. Bob, you always got like so much stuff going. Is there, any, <laughs> is there anything you want to share with our audience, what you got going right now these days? Uh, well, we'll see. I've got my own uh workshop for couples. Um, it's uh, in collaboration now, it turns out with uh, Betty Ford Hazelton has a research collaboration I'm establishing with them to begin a conversation about offering this sort of thing in their inpatient, outpatient, probably an outpatient program. So that's going on. Wow. Uh, then I'm also doing a presentation at the end of the year at the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference with uh, John and Julie Gottman on this very model that we're talking oh, part wow. about today. So that's kind of a, an important that's step exciting. because yeah, it introduces to the, to the a huge clinical population nationally and probably internationally, this concept of couple recovery. Uh, so th those are a couple of the big, big things. And then I have an, an online training class for counselors to, that covers many of the same interventions I cover with couples in the two day workshop. I do the online thing. Wow. Like I said, you got a lot going on. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah. Well, and it's it's an opportunity for more people to be helped. And I, that's what I love. I love having guests on here because it's just, there's more voices out here saying, hey, there's hope. There is a bigger community than maybe you know of. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be here and to share that. Absolutely. Thank you for the work you're doing for couples. And you guys are just a really solid in all of this. So I appreciate your work as well. 
Thank awesome. you. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Bob. All righty. Okay. Appreciate you guys being here, and we'll see you again on the next episode. See you guys. Bye. Bye.